today, uh, we're going to uh, just continue to dive into our, our, our series on the kingdom people of God and the determinations that we need to have. Someone would say these are also foundational things, so we can just focus, we can just call it the foundations of the kingdom people of God or the determinations of the kingdom people of God. And today, I want to talk to you about the principle of putting the kingdom of God first. We, we talked about repentance, right, that we need to live lifestyles of repentance that constantly turn over to God. We talked about his fatherhood, that he's... He's our father and that we're highly favored by God. We're sons and daughters who are favored by God. And now uh, uh, today, one of these very determinations that we need to have is putting the kingdom of God first in our hearts. In our hearts. And the reason why I say our hearts is because the focus of the scripture that we will read today deals with what Jesus calls us to desire and strive for and meditate on for eternity. As opposed to the things that one may focus on if their hope and their lives and their desires are all caught up in this world and in this life. I, I feel it's very necessary to say this. Scripture that I'm about to speak with is going to cut very deeply each and every one of our lives. Okay. Uh, again, Jesus calls us to guide our hearts to desire the right things. Now, that can happen to the believer because we've been transformed in Christ through his sacrifice. And he's given us a new heart with new appetites. But we have to feed those appetites. And we have a choice to feed the appetites of the spirit or the appetites of the flesh. We can be very fleshly uh, Christians, right? Flesh-driven, flesh-focused Christians that focus just on the things of this world. Or if we grow in the things of the spirit and we pour into the things of the spirit and we feed our our uh, spiritual appetite, then we're going to grow in that, right? We're going to desire the good things of the Spirit. And Jesus very clearly calls us to watch what we desire. And the scripture that we're going to talk about deals with that. The issue is, is when Jesus calls us to pay attention to the things that we desire, it's going to become uncomfortable. Because each and every one of us have certain desires that need to be put on the cross. Amen? We have things that need to be submitted to the cross. And sometimes some of these things are not so obviously sin. Sometimes some of these things are very difficult to discern. But thank God that God doesn't say to us, try to discern by your own means what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's, uh, what's bad, right? Because we would be in a lot of trouble if we were left to our own discernment or our own understanding. But God gives us the word. And the word will make us uncomfortable, right? But it'll do a great work because it'll divide exactly what's of God and what's not of God. I feel a need again to remind you of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting in and cutting out, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And let me just tell you something. If you think that you can rightly discern the intentions of your heart, you're deceived already. Can I say that? We cannot. We cannot rightly discern that. We need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to give us that. Now, we can have that discernment, but it won't come from us. It'll come from the Word of God, right? It'll come through the work of His Holy Spirit. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. 
Now, this is what that scripture tells us there, just those several verses. Just really quickly, it's not what we're diving into, but I think it's important to keep it in mind as we dive into what God has for us this morning. Number one, we are going to give an account for our lives to the life giver. He's given us life. It's an investment that he's made. And no, the Lord is not a shark, right? He's, he's not a financial shark, but he's going to expect us to make a good investment with the life that he has given us. Everyone will give an account. Secondly, we cannot hide anything from him. We may be able to hide from ourselves. We may be able to hide it from others, but we cannot hide it from him. Even the deepest darkness is the brightness of the day before our God. There's absolutely nothing that can be hidden from him. Third, he is his word, and his word has the power to do several things. So what God speaks, it's a revelation of himself. And because he is his word... His word has power. So when we read the scripture, we don't just consider it, as Sandra so rightly pointed out, it's not historical fact. His word is alive and well. That's why it's being preached. That's why it continues to survive after all of the attacks, decade after decade, year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. Why? Because the word of God has power. It is alive. God is alive through his word. And what does it have power to do? Number one, to penetrate deeper into the issues of our hearts that we cannot even imagine. Right? The Word of God has the ability to penetrate so deep that we cannot even fathom how deep the Word of God can penetrate into our hearts. Second, it also has the power to find the dividing line between the soul and the spirit. So it not only penetrates into the heart, right? Like a sloppy, you know, uh, knife that just goes in, but it's a sharp, it's a sharp deal, right? So much so that it can divide bone and marrow. Now, you understand that the bone and marrow are inseparable, right? But not to the Word of God. You know that to us, soul and spirit are just an inseparable reality to us, but not to the Word of God. To us, we may see that line as very thin. But to God, it's like the valley between two mountains. He can drop a drop of water. Just think about a drop of water dropping between the valley, in the valley between two mountains. That's how sharp the Word of God can get into our issues of the heart. What's hard for us to divide, God already sees clearly, and it's already divided in Him. Now, He understands all these things. So I want you to just understand the power of the Word of God. Now, all that to reiterate that today we're going to look at the Bible and read a portion of Scripture where Jesus teaches those who have made a commitment to follow Him what their heart's desire and meditation should be. Again, Jesus is dealing with the heart, and he wants us to pay attention to what we desire, and he wants us to to guide our hearts to desire the right things. So I want to welcome you to just repeat after me as the Lord gives you the freedom and uh, liberty to do so as we pray to the Lord today. Repeat after me. Give me ears to hear your word. Give me eyes to see your truth. May your word penetrate my life. Reveal to me what needs to be revealed. For nothing is hidden from your eyes. Give me discernment to know your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go with me to Matthew 6. Now we're going to dive into verse 19 on down where Jesus talks to us about putting his kingdom first in our hearts. 
Would someone read for us verses 19 through 24? Go ahead, brother. Okay, all that scripture is supposed to be read together. All of this portion of scripture is supposed to, it's Jesus speaking about one and the same issue, right? Some of our Bibles um, have little subtitles between some of these verses to help us memorize and to help us find those scriptures, and we appreciate those subtitles. But in context, just keep in mind that this scripture deals with one topic. What is that? Putting the kingdom of God first. Establishing that reality and where in our hearts, okay? And now in the scripture that we just read, several things, uh, we, are, we learned several things about, uh, about Jesus, about who he wants to be in our lives, and what we're to do with our treasure and our time. Number one, Jesus is, to those who are followers of Jesus, right? those who have made a commitment to follow Jesus, Jesus is our financial advisor and our time management. Right? He's our time manager and our financial advisor. The moment that we give our lives to Christ, we hand over those, those titles. We say, Lord, I no longer want to be the time manager of my life. I no longer want to be my personal financial advisor. Neither do I want the world to be my time manager and my financial advisor, nor the spirits of this world. I give that to you. I surrender it to you. I realize that I need a financial advisor. I realize that I need a time manager. And I not only say, give me some advice and give me some wisdom, I'm saying I am committing to your advice and your wisdom. See, here, here's the problem with Christianity. The Bible, the Bible is not full of suggestions. Are you with me? It's, it's, it's the way of the kingdom that we're called to apply to our lives. So, Jesus is our financial advisor and our time manager, and he assumes that role immediately. Jesus wants us to get the biggest bang for our buck, right? What, is the financial, what, what should a financial advisor do for us? Give us good advice. What else? Tell us what to do with our money. What else? Do you expect from a financial advisor? Insight into things that we don't understand, Right? Someone who's aware, who can follow the trends or, or whatever it may be. What else? Honesty. <laughs> Honesty. Absolutely, right? What else? Some, some simple fundamentals of how to give some, how to save some, right? What else? Protect us from big losses. 
We want a financial advisor that's going to tell us where to make our investments so that we don't make investments in things that are going to go away, right? These are all good things. And Jesus does that right away. Notice, don't put your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is saying, look, this is why you don't want your monies to go here on earth. These are the three ways that your stocks are going to be eaten alive. This is the three ways. It's just a bad investment. Altogether, this is a bad investment to put your treasure here on earth because the moth can eat it up or the rust will eat it away or the thieves are going to break in or steal it. But instead, lay for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So here is Jesus saying, there's a way that you can invest your treasure in such a way that none of those things will be able to affect affect your investment. For where, and then, then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So number one, Jesus wants us to get the biggest bang for our bucks. Uh, Jesus wants us to make the kind of investments that we'll, we'll be able to enjoy for eternity. Don't think short term, think eternity. So now when Jesus deals with our investment, he's saying, I want you to think eternal when it comes to your finances. I want you to think eternal when it comes to your time. I want you to think eternally when it comes to your relationships. I want you to think eternally when it comes to your word and how you use your your gifts and your talents. All of that, I want you to look at all of it and think eternally. Okay. Now, as we move forward. That scripture also tells us not only that Jesus wants to be our financial advisor and our time manager, but it tells us something about the heart. Now, what does it tell us about the heart? Let's look at those verses again. Go back to those verses. Where our treasure is, there's our heart. Our hearts follow our treasure. Our hearts follow our investment. Our hearts will always dictate what we put our money and time into. Okay? Your heart, what you really desire, will always be what you put your money and your time into. Whatever I really desire is what I'm going to put my money and my time into. I cannot separate. You know, I may be able to hide, I, I may try to hide it, but I won't be able to. Why? Because the heart will always invest in what it desires. What we put our money and time into is also, uh, it's not only where our hearts are at, but it's also where our hearts will follow. If you make bad investments, your heart will be there. If you make bad relationship decisions, your heart will be there. If you spend your time into something, your heart, your heart will be there. Right? Whatever you do with your time and your money, you're just going to follow. Right? And sometimes there are things that may not be desires that you had at first, but you open your hearts to those things, and now you desire them, and now you're making investments into it. Are you with me? You know, it can be something as simple as a TV series. You start watching a show, and it was kind of interesting, and the second one was really interesting. Then all of a sudden, you got to watch every episode, right? Your heart's into it. You're locked in, whether good or bad, right? Whether good or bad. The same way, what you invest your time into, your heart's going to be there. What you invest, you know, you may be hanging out with somebody, relationally speaking, that you know is bad for you. You know, somebody who's not making the right impact in your life for the kingdom, but then you keep there, you keep there, you know it's bad, all your discernment, all the word of God, all of that tells you run, 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 but you keep there, and then all of a sudden it says maybe, 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 right? And you start justifying, right? Because what you invest your time into, your heart's going to be there. 
It's going to be hard to separate. So you can lead your heart. If you again, uh, now now as we continue to look at that scripture, uh, so so let's keep this in mind. Our finances and our time reflect where our, where our hearts are really at. That's a great thing for us to look at individually and come before God and say, Lord, what is what is what does it say about my heart? The way that I spend my time, the way that I I spend my resources. Here's another thing that's important that we see in the scripture. Our vision for life really, really matters. Our vision for life really matters. Okay, now go back to verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. Does it say the eyes or the eye? The eye. So it's not talking about what we look at. Oftentimes we hear this scripture being spoken of in in regards to what we're looking at, what we're seeing. It has nothing to do with that. This has something to do totally different than the eyes or lust or even though, of course, that's an issue addressed in the the big picture. But this is this is something bigger than that. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What the eye represents is your vision for life. This is why the scripture is there. It's not like all of a sudden Jesus was talking about finances and time management. Then all of a sudden he's dealing with lust. And then he goes back to finances and time management. No, it all runs together. And when it says the eye is the lamp of the body, he says, what is your vision for life? What is it that you're striving for in life? Right? So here, uh, the eye represents your vision for life and not what you're looking at. If your vision for life is set right, then all things are in order. If it is bad, then all things are out of order or in disorder. If your investments are primarily for the joy of this world, they're going to be all bad. If your investments are for the joy of the kingdom, then they're all going to be good. That is to say that you can't just add Jesus to the mix. We can't just add Jesus to the mix of our lives. Simply because, uh, you know, we think adding Jesus to the mixture of our lives would be a blessing. You understand what I'm saying? We can say, well, I like our life the way that they are. I like my finances the way that they are. I like the way that I'm handling my, manage, time, manage, my time the way that I, that I am. I like all that. I just want to add Jesus to it because it seems very beneficial to bring Jesus into the mix. I mean, think about it. Who says no to Jesus? Right? I mean, when we look at it this way, when we think that we can add Jesus to the arsenal of our entertainment and our pleasure and our delight, but this is not kingdom living. Are you with me? We can't just add, we can't really pray, Jesus bless what we are doing. Because there are certain things that we're doing that Jesus will not bless. Right? Remember sitting at the court while we were ministering um, on the east side, and there was a young man that I was talking to. He goes, yeah, man, what I do is I break into homes and I steal things. I do it. But I ask for God's protection as I do that. Say, what? (laughs) You can't ask for God's protection. When you're not paying attention, the thou shall not steal. You know what I'm saying? There are certain things that God will not bless. God will not bless a relationship that's operating outside of his commandments. God will not bless finances that's operating outside of his word. God will not bless a time investment that's not what he called us to invest our time in. Unless the Lord does the work, the laborers labor in vain. Right? That's what the Bible says. So, so very clearly, our vision for life really matters. We can't ask God to bless what we're doing if it doesn't line up to the kingdom. We can ask God to teach us to do what he has blessed. 
We can ask God, God, teach us to do the things that you've already blessed. Teach us to focus and, and, uh, on the things that, that matter to you. Okay? Now, as we move forward, uh, I love this, this commentary by Matthew Henry. The I, that is the aim and intentions. By the I, we set our end before us. The mark we shoot at, the place we go to, we keep that in view and direct our motion accordingly. In everything we do in religion, there is something or other that we have in our eye. Now, if your eye be single, if we aim honestly, fix right ends, and move rightly towards him, if we aim purely and only at the glory of God, seek his honor and favor, and direct all entirely to him, then the eye is single and good. But if the eye be evil, if instead of aiming only at the glory of God and our acceptance with him, we look aside at the applause of men, and while we profess to honor God, contrive to honor ourselves and seek our own things under color of seeking the things of Christ, despoils everything. In other words, there's no such thing as Jesus and. Right? Not to be confused with the bad doctrine, Jesus only, right? It, it can't be Jesus and. It's only Jesus. Now it goes into a much deeper subject, even a greater dividing line, and it, it could be offensive if misunderstood. But it also says, as we read on there in the scripture, and I'll read that really quickly, no one can serve two masters. Notice no one. No one. You have to make up in your mind what you believe about Jesus. Is he the truth? There, that means that he doesn't speak 99% truth. That means that he speaks 100% truth because 99% truth is still a lie. If Jesus is the truth, it means that he does not exaggerate. If he does not exaggerate, then what he says needs to be taken seriously. Are you with me so far? Can we agree on those things? Then Jesus says, no one. No one. Not one person, not one individual, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Notice that. So either he will hate the one and love the other. Not be indifferent, not, no, love and hate. He sees that dividing line, no matter how we dress it up. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Not ignore the, despise the other. This is very important. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, you cannot both serve Jesus and the desire to be wealthy, the desire to gain wealth. Cannot do it. Because in your search to serve one or to have one, you're going to despise the other. And you serve to really attain one, you're going to hate the other. It's, it's very important. Now let's make it clear. Wealth is not wicked. Being rich doesn't mean that you despise Jesus. There are people who have finances who are used for God. God has given them those finances because God has seen fit to give them those finances because they know how to handle those and give them t- towards the kingdom of God and use them for the kingdom of God. I think of uh, uh, places like Chick-fil-A right? They're closed on Sunday. Slightly offensive. Nonetheless, (laughs) number one chicken company in America, in the world. Incredible, right? And they're closed on Sunday, right? 
That's right. Now, what does that say about the church and fried chicken? Glory. Okay, no. All right. <laughs> okay. So listen, it's very serious, right? But you see someone who has made some serious sacrifices for the kingdom, and God continues to bless them. So again, we're not preaching against wealth. We're preaching the Bible clearly. Jesus clearly speaks about gaining wealth as your focus for life. Are you with me? Gaining wealth, people gain wealth, and they gain wealth with the kingdom in mind. When the kingdom is in mind, wealth is a, is a wonderful thing. God can use it, what we have and what we don't have, because we understand that we're wealthy even with what we don't have, because what we don't have is a blessing from God to keep us from being ensnared by the enemy. Come on now, right? So again, just notice this. It says, we cannot serve Jesus and wealth. We will either hate one or the other, and that wealth can be, again, a relationship that stands in the way, our time management, our relationships, right, and our finances. I, you know, there seems to be something that we accept that is a total fallacy. I just want to say it before I say it so that you would know that I know that I don't believe in this and I know that it's not true. But there are sometimes um, this idea that we can say, I just want to be just in, you know, I just want to make it in the kingdom. You know, I just want to be just in. You know, kind of this idea, you know, I don't want to go so far as to be like Zach Mobius, who lives in Aser, who's going to live in Azerbaijan and dedicate themselves completely to the kingdom work. I don't want to be like such and such. You know, I just want to be just in. I'm just happy to make it into the pearly gates, you know. And so we have this idea. And, and really what that's saying is I am not willing to sacrifice every part of my life. I'm only willing to sacrifice enough to be just in. Because the reason why Zach is going to Azerbaijan is simply obedience. He didn't desire to go to Azerbaijan. He didn't say, God, I want to sacrifice everything. Because he knows the word of God says what? Obedience is better than sacrifice. So when we say that, I think sometimes subliminally what we may be saying to ourselves is, I just want to obey enough to get through the gates. But that's not obedience at all, is it? It's not obedience at all. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is, again, because as the Word of God teaches us here, we're either completely sold out or we're in the world. There's no just in, you know? And so we have to really think about this reality. Uh, Jesus says, no one. This is Jesus saying it. Again, let's, let's focus on that. And again, he's given us examples of how we're supposed to live. So we cannot serve two masters. Either we will love the one and hate the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. Very key. Carolyn? What keeps people from what? From being sold out. I think, I think, let me just rephrase that. Um, let me Let me bring it back a little bit. I think sometimes people don't, misunderstand God and his goodness of God, the goodness of God. Uh, some people are afraid of living sold out because they're afraid of where God's going to take them and they, they're afraid of, of what that means for their lives. But that's just a misunderstanding of how good God is. And thank God that God's patient and he leads us slowly and he deals with, that ki- deals with us kindly. 
But, you know, uh, we keep ourselves from greater blessings, right? We see it over and over again. Uh, and we're going to dive a little bit more into that. So what keeps us from being completely sold out? But again, don't, don't think of completely sold out as going out to the remotest tribes in India. Think of being sold out for Jesus as obedience now, today, at this moment. Because the scripture, as we continue to read, focuses on today, this moment. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today, obedience now, right? That's being sold out. I'm telling you, if we just make a commitment to obedience now, that's being radical for Jesus. Now, let's just move forward. Um, let me just say this. We can't justify ourselves by pointing to others. You know, we may be able to say, you know, when I look at others and the finances and what they do with their finances, I'm really not that bad. You know, I mean, I'm not bad at all. Again, Jesus sees all that. He is a sharp, double-edged sword that penetrates between bone and marrow. Right. Just keep clear that he will not be deceived. Um, and so we also don't want to be deceived. So as we move forward here. As we move forward here, let me read this scripture. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We have the example of the rich young ruler. Remember him? He done he done everything legally, morally correct. And then Jesus looked at him and got to the heart of the issue. You really want to follow me? Then give up all you have, right? Jesus didn't give up all you have. And at that, the rich man walked away, you see? So we can look religiously right. We can look religiously right. But Jesus is the power to look right at the issue and say, that's the idol that I want you to sacrifice. And so I've made a commitment in my life to say, you know what, Lord, new levels, new devils. I know that there are things every day that you're calling me to sacrifice at the altar. I just want to make a commitment to be teachable, you know? So when the moment comes that you say, hey, Carlos, you're doing everything right, but that right there, let's line that up. I want to have the right heart before you. Say, Lord, take that. Have your way in it. Okay, now as we go on, the scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches us not to worry or meditate on the things of this world. Uh, Let's read verse 25, and we'll bring this to a close here. If someone would read uh, verse 25 for us and, and, and just keep reading down there. Okay, let's stop right there. First, he says, don't value these things. Your clothes, your possessions, your food, what sustains you, your blessings, your tomorrow and your future. No, don't do that like the world. Don't worry about, this is, listen what you, don't worry about your future like the world. Don't worry about your blessings like the world. Don't worry about your possessions like the world. Don't do that. You are of more value. Now, this is the Lord adding value. This is the Lord revealing to us how much more he values us. Have you ever seen summer, spring, winter, fall? Have you ever seen any, any of that fail? You see, you see the goodness of God through all of it, don't you? Generation after generation after generation. And God says, you are, I need you to hear this. You are more valuable to God. Do you live with that perspective that you are more valuable to God? 
You're valuable to him. Man, if he's going to provide so beautifully for... Have you ever seen a peacock? You guys ever seen a... You know how they lose their feathers and then they get their feathers back exactly at the same place where they lost them? They replenish those beautiful feathers. It's incredible, isn't it? You are more value. You're, you are of value to God. As a church, you need to begin to see yourself as valuable to the Lord. Now, let, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading there. Okay, stop right there. So being anxious and overly concerned about this speaks to the level of faith in our lives. You see that? So, you know, what kind of level of faith is operating in my life? One of the gauges is looking at the anxiety and the worry in my life for these things. Right? You see that? All right, go ahead. I ain't judging now. I ain't judging. I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> All right, next, verse 31. Yeah. Stop right there. Let's stop there. For the Gentiles means for the for those who have no knowledge of God, right? That's how we need to read it because we're Gentiles if we're not Jews. So this is now referring to those who have no knowledge and no awareness, no relationship with God. Those who have no relationship with God, they worry about these things. And of course they have to worry about these things because they are their financial advisor. They are their time managers. They are their relationship counselor, right? They have to worry about these things. But you don't because I am your father. And I know all of your needs. Even before you ask, I know your needs. So this really is dealing with what? What is the heart of the issue that Jesus is dealing with here? Faith, independence, and dependence. God wants us to depend on him, and to depend on God requires for us to do what? Submit, trust. I trust what? That your intentions for me are better than mine. I trust that your intentions, your desires, and your provision and care of me is way better than the way I can care for myself. You know better. I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I said, God, I wish I wouldn't have taken matters into my hands. You would have done so much better than me at this. You would have done so much better at me than this. I thought I was caring for myself because I didn't trust you in this area. I took matters into my own hands and look at the mess that I've made. All right, I'm alone on that one. I got it. I got it. The Gentiles seek after these things. And here's the key to all that we just read, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and all these things will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There it is. You're focusing on one day. You want to live sold out one day at a time. What does that look like? I'm going to obey today, right? Lord, you take care of my future. You take care of my... It doesn't mean that we don't plan. It doesn't mean that we're ignorant to the fact that we... But we're not going to be anxious and overly... We're going to worship the Lord throughout all our planning and all our finances and all our relationships, right? Uh, and so, again, today I'm going to obey. Today I'm going to be sold out because that's going to that's gonna lead to greater things. One of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life was from dear Pastor Keith who said to me, you know, the life of the kingdom is one life well lived one day at a time. You know, at the end of his life, he said, you know, I look back and I realize I'm seeing a lot of fruit of everything the Lord's done. And really it's because I made a decision to live one day well for Jesus one day at a time. One day at a time. Okay? One day at a time. That's the life of the kingdom. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't prioritize or preoccupy yourself with what you own, what you eat, or what your plan is for tomorrow. Our trust is in God. And we can gauge how much we trust him by the way that we're concerned for these things and the way we deal with these things. Don't worry about these things. Uh... Uh, to worry about these things is to not be kingdom-minded. Okay? To worry about these things is not to have, is, is to basically not have the kingdom in mind. And I want to remind you of the scripture, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, build it in, in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Okay? Yes, if, you, if you build and it's not the work of the Lord, it's just going to come to nothing. And if you're trying to watch carefully to make sure that you don't lose your assets or your stocks or your investments, guess what? It doesn't matter if you stay and watch because if the Lord didn't call you to invest in that, it's going to come to ruin anyway. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxiety and of worry, anxious toil. <laughs> Why do you do that? Don't you know that the Lord gives his beloved rest? Give some sleep. Hey, Chick-fil-A is a great example. They're resting, you know, and God's prospering them. Okay? Now, Luke 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or all desire to gain. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Very key. Why was he building greater barns? Not for the glory of God. For his delight and for his entertainment. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Luke twelve thirteen through 21. 
Again, what's the focus of the wealth that we have? The riches that God's given us. Is it to be rich towards God, to be a blessing to the kingdom? For, for each, Are we looking at all our resources and saying, okay, Lord, help us redirect all these things, even our entertainment, because God wants us to delight in life. Even all the things that we delight in, are they things that are eternally minded? I want you to think that way. This is what our vision of, for life should be. The kingdom of God first. And everything else, God will take care of. The kingdom of God first. Now, some would say, well, it seems like God is, you know, the devil will ha- lie to us right now, even though we know it's not true, and, and would plant this seed. It says, well, God doesn't want you to have any fun, does he? Well, God doesn't want you to enjoy anything that you have. And that's a lie from the pit. God is not interested in keeping good things from us. God wants to keep good things from corrupting our hearts. God is not, God, it's not that God wants to keep good things from you. He just wants to make sure that the good things that he gives you doesn't corrupt our hearts. Blessings become a curse very often in scripture. Adam and Eve in the garden were given everything. Yet they touch what they're not supposed to have. People before the flood were given a land to take authority and dominion over. And, and they walked so far from the things of the Lord with the blessing of God that God had to bring the destructive flood. Israel, God gave manna from heaven. says, I'll provide every day the manna that you need. Do not keep it. You don't need to keep it for another day. But they keep it anyway. And it became a blessing, uh, a curse to them. Israel in the promised land. They go into the promised land, right? They're relaxed with the promised land. And they're relaxed in their obedience. And the blessing of God becomes a curse to them. Saul and his, his desire to gain wealth, God gave him a kingdom that he didn't even deserve. But God gave him a kingdom, and when God called him to obedience, he saw the blessing of the sheep and the cattle and the stuff, and, and he wanted to, in his pride, parade these things. And what happens? He loses the kingdom. David, right? God gives him rest and, and a kingdom that's prospering and conquering. And in a time of war, he, he's delighting in his blessings. He's relaxing when God calls him to war. And what happens? He catch, you know, he, go, he goes out. You know, you know the story? He looks out the window, and he is ensnared. Solomon and his riches. I tell you what, Solomon and his riches. No one likes Solomon. I mean, the guy was rich, you know. He made silver common. It's crazy. Silver was not even considered great. It's just common in Solomon's time. And it turned his heart away from God. Hezekiah, Hezekiah in the Bible, was so proud about his wealth that he showed it to the kingdom of Babylon. And Isaiah said, you fool, what you've done that for? So again, wealth became a snare. The rich young ruler, a snare. Ananias and Sapphira, they were given wealth, right? Became a snare. Again, are we getting rich toward God or for ourselves? A while ago, uh, the Lord gave me something, and it goes like this. I see the church faded gray, conformity, the chosen way. I've seen those who claim the faith deny Christ and fall astray. I've seen believers turn around against the will of mighty Yahweh, facing wayward instead of focus on the one way. It hurts me. But if it hurts me, it kills the lamb that already paid the price for every single fallen man. Now, how could we be the light when on the darkness we stand? We see the cross, yet we neglect the scarred hands. God, forgive us. For we blaspheme against your name, Jesus. 
If we don't trust you, how will the world ever believe us? We let them lead us, never perceiving the truth, never recognizing the time, thus we never bear, bear fruit. Yasid canoe. I'm sorry that we cost you much pain. I'm sorry that we don't know how to praise when it rains. I'm sorry that we think worship is for self-gain. And I'm sorry that we let your blessings become chains. Again, this whole, this whole issue is an issue of trust. You want to know if you're a kingdom-minded person, if the kingdom is first, if you desire the right things, and if you're teaching your heart to have the right appetite, look at what you're spending your time into. Look at what you're investing your finances in. And look at the relationships that surround you and how you're speaking into their lives. Would you stand with me today? Amen. I don't know about you, but that was challenging for me. Amen. That was challenging. Even as I was preparing, the Lord was just lining up certain things in my life, aligning certain things, giving me clarity. And I thank him for that clarity. Because I trust that his ability to care for me is greater than my ability to care for myself. Lord, today as we come before you, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the revelation of your word. A determination we need to have is to put your kingdom first. Put your kingdom first. Put your will first. And how do we put your will first? What does it look like to put the kingdom first? To choose to obey you. Even when it hurts temporarily. Because what hurts temporarily, more often than not, produces great fruit eternally. Choosing to obey you in all things. So, Father, I thank you. We're going to live sold out one day at a time. Sufficient for today is everything that you call us to do for you today. <laughs> we bless you. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. You know, listen, even as we, um, even as we heard the word today and allowed the, God, the word of God to to penetrate and to open our eyes so, so that we can see the truth. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I, I certainly see that there are certain things the Lord wants to align immediately. There are certain things in my time management and in my finances uh, that the Lord is, is calling me to align. And I, I want to receive vision. I want to receive vision and say yes to God's vision over my time management, my relationships, and my finances. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Lord, we come before you, and, and we recognize, ooh, there, there are things that need to be lined up. And Lord, we welcome you to give us vision, to give us clarity, to show us how to go about lining those things up. And, and Lord, we, we give you permission to speak. We give you permission to lead. We give you permission to counsel. And we know, God, that this is not a short-term fix. This is, it's a daily thing. It is a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Just like we want to look at our budgets on a regular basis, we want to look at our budgets. We want to look at how we're keeping the kingdom first in our hearts through all of these things. Would you teach us to do so? Would you teach us to do so? 
in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now let's right now, uh, just in a very different way, um, as we sing this song that, that I hear my wife playing, let's sing that to the Lord. And let's say, Lord, we want you to be master above everything. We want you to be king above everything. And let's close that way. Let's sing that one one more time before the Lord. And turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will strangely in the light of his glory so we pray God teach us to turn our eyes fully on you as the horses they would put those blinds to keep them facing forward Lord in the same way teach us to turn our eyes towards you that we may look full at your face full at your face because when we do so, we're going to recognize the things that we were really concerned about. They kind of just fall into order. We realize we don't really need to be concerned about those things. Because they belong to you. You're in control. You're a good father. Lord, I thank you for even today just communicating that message through the worship time. And through the scripture. God, we love the way you orchestrate things. You're a good God. We declare you to be God good today. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you today.